I'm interested too when you talk about the mental toughness because as an outsider just listening to you and looking at what you've done that's obviously been something that's carried through for many many years has there ever been a point where you've had to stop and think I don't know what the next step is yeah I've got to say I was pretty depressed 2008 to 2010 I was struggling with a couple of things I did a capital raise for a an abalone farm and I raised $45 million, which was blown from mismanagement by the company. So that business collapsed, losing a lot of money. And at the same time, we were in that GFC where all my clients were losing money and and we were not earning money. I can tell you that the amount of money that had to come out of our home loan uh, just to survive for that two or three year period was horrendous. The whole period was quite depressing. Coming up with the solution, and the solution being VIP or Value Investment Partners, that was the saviour. That was the, the thing that brought me back out of my shell and, yeah. because I had a solution that I could fix it for my clients and fix their positions. It was a very dark time, but having the solution was the, was the fix. And so in, in that sense, you were constantly thinking about what the next step was, just the idea hadn't come to you yet. Correct. And it came out of what clients wanted and just listening to them. I, I say to my kids all the time, you know, that old cliche of you, you learn more with your ears than your mouth. My two partners had decided to retire, and so I brought them out of the business in uh, 1995 and then uh, worked by myself for several years. Over that time, I had several different partners. You know, it was hard work getting started, and uh, I think I had the luxury of working in that redundancy period, which enabled me to build clients fairly quickly. Most people starting up in this business struggle to to build clients easily uh, these days. So over over the time, we built the business. The financial planning industry became more and more sophisticated. Products on offer became more and more um, sophisticated. The industry transitioned from a transaction-based industry to a service-based industry which was probably the best thing that ever happened for the clients because you make an investment decision and then in the old world, you were left to your own devices. We built a service offering whereby we would be still looking after the clients on a year-to-year basis and making sure that what we had put in place originally was still appropriate and suited their goals and objectives that we had first worked out. And I think this has been one of the great things about the financial planning industry is that ongoing service and that the relationship that you actually build with your clients to the point whereby you know more about them than their families do in a lot of cases. So that becomes a very close relationship. And I, I guess that's the bit that I've always enjoyed, having that close relationship with people. And as I said earlier, being able to build on their goals and make sure that their goals and objectives are met. Things change. And, and the more goals you meet, it creates actually further goals down the track. So it's definitely an an ongoing job and work looking after these, looking after and working with your clients. Moving forward, as I said, I'd had uh, several other advisors join me in Manly. So by about 2008, uh, which I know I've jumped forward quite a few years, but by 2008, I think we had about four or five different advisors working out of this Manly office. But whilst we were sharing resources, we still were actually working as individuals. So in uh, 2008, we corporatised the business. So again, it had been obviously about 13 years since I'd last had partners when the other two brought out. So by 2008, we had, I had partners again. For those that remember the GFC, that period was an extremely traumatic time. As I said, we were looking after our clients on an ongoing basis. And 
come 2007, we had collectively decided that the listed property trusts, the AREITs as they call them now, market was massively overvalued. And it was quite simple and quite obvious. The value of these trusts was trading well above the, the value of the assets. So if, if you've got a trust, the assets are finite and therefore they've got a value. But the market was saying they were 30 and 40 percent above that value. So we spent a year going around our clients and writing um, SOAs and suggesting that people sell out of their listed property trust. It took us a year to do it, which which was horrible. The only thing was, it was, I I think, by good luck rather than good management, we actually managed to actually uh, get through everybody. And we didn't have too many clients with listed property trusts in their portfolios. Come the GFC and the, the 2008 crash, listed property markets fell by about 70%. So we were very proud of ourselves for removing that that negativity out of our our clients' portfolios. However, in January 2008, it became bleedingly obvious that the equity markets were going the same way. And we've looked at each other and, and, and wondered whether we need to get everybody out now, which was January 08, but the rules said that we had to write these statements of advices or reports to all our clients making formal recommendations. And of course, at that particular point, we didn't know how long, how deep, how bad this global financial crisis was going to get. It meant whilst we protected them from the property fall, we hadn't protected our clients from the equity fall, which meant for some really dark days through 2008 and 2009, where our clients were struggling, we were struggling. Our income had fallen dramatically, as had our clients. The world was in a dark place. And I should say that that dark place actually lasted for about two years. Come 2010 Christmas party, my partners and I were sitting down after the lunch and uh, having a beer and we were sitting there saying that our clients are losing money, the Europe's a basket case, America's in recession, the outlook was bleak, still going forward. So we decided that we were going to do something about it. We needed to be able to move our clients' money a lot quicker than the status quo and the rules on financial planners allowed for. Now, there's a lot of people who will say that you're not supposed to time markets and time in the markets and everything else is very important. And I subscribe to that on a normal circumstances. But when we get these huge macro situations whereby, as I said, the world was about to tumble in January 08, that was plainly obvious for all to see. You don't want to be in an asset class that you can see is going to fall out of bed. There was a couple of things our clients needed. The clients needed to be able to move their money quickly. Clients needed to also have an idea what their income was going to be. Inside a normal managed fund, their income would be paid at the end of the financial year and it would be a minor mystery of how much that was going to be. Clients wanted to know, especially retired people, which was predominantly our clientele, clients wanted to know what their income was on a, on a monthly basis at least. So we thought, well, managed funds are a problem. During the GFC, we also noticed that people that had direct investments, whilst they had lost as much money as people in managed funds and superannuation funds, but people with direct investments were not as worried as people in managed funds. And the simple reason being there is if you own BHP shares or Commonwealth Bank shares or a, an investment property, you know that that had fallen in value, but you also knew that they would recover. Mm-hmm. Whereas a managed fund or a superannuation fund, you had no idea what it was actually invested in and therefore you didn't have the confidence that it was going to, to recover. So what we found, we looked around, we found that we could actually set up what they call, a, it's called a managed discretionary account, whereby we can invest directly on behalf of our clients and 
be able to move money from asset class to asset class as markets dictate. And more importantly, the clients have a total transparency into what their assets that they're holding are. They even see that they have 500 BHP shares and 700 Commonwealth Bank shares and so on. They know that they've got West Farmers and they know what there's in their property trusts and they know what's in the bank account. So they've got full transparency. They can also see all the transactions, including any fees and charges. So it's absolutely open and there's no hidden charges because it's actually there in the accounts, which are obviously audited every year. That's when we built Value Investment Partners. We had the name Financial Unity was our first name, which I was very happy with and went back to the office and said, oh, I've just registered Financial Unity. And one of my guys says, Financial Unity, FU Funds Management, he said. (laughs) (laughs) And I've gone, oh, can't do that. (laughs) Maybe not that one. Since then, we've built uh, our value investment partners. It's now at around about $150 million under management. And whilst we don't pretend to be the most spectacular manager out there, we run an investment committee and, and so on. Because we're able to move money from asset class to asset class as time dictates, and we're not talking on day trading, we're talking about big picture stuff like four-year trends. Mm-hmm. So we've been able to smooth out the volatility for our clients' investments. And given, as mentioned before, most of our clients are, are, are retired and, and drawing a, a regular income stream, volatility is a retired person's nightmare. If you have $100,000 and you're pulling out $5,000 a year in income, that's great if the fund earns 10% and it goes from 100000 to 110 and you pull 5000 out, your balance at the end of the year would be 105000 with $5,000 in your pocket. But... If the market goes down and your $100,000 goes down by 10% to, to $90,000 and you pull out your $5,000, it goes down to $85,000. Even if it makes 10% the next year, it only goes back up to 93000 and you pull out $5,000, you're still at eighty eight. So volatility for a retired person is seriously, seriously detrimental, especially on a drawdown income strategy. So the whole point of VIP is to smooth out that volatility by reducing assets, which are obviously on the way down. Recent years, we've had the Royal Commission into financial planning, which I think probably took the last of, shall we say, the cowboys out, which is going to be good for the industry. Although it did badly affect me in as far as that I didn't have a degree because I'd gone straight from school into into my dream job. And so suddenly, um, after... 30-odd years as a financial planner and 38 years in market, they wanted me to go back to uni. I'm miles too big, old and grumpy to go sit <laughs> on a university campus. And as much as I've loved the, uh, the day-to-day interactions with all my clients, it's going to be an impossibility to go forward. So I've taken a step back from the day-to-day management of my clients and concentrating on the management uh, and the investment management of value investment partners. It means that I'm still actively working for all of my clients and, and I still have contact with all my clients when they come in, but it means that I don't do the day-to-day transactions. So I guess that's roughly where we, we are today. Just some observation. At the beginning, you talked about your love for economics, numbers and all of that came to you naturally, and that was it. However, there was an influencer there who's your teacher. He ignited that passion what he did for you back then, you still recognize that. And you know, that was a major factor. The second influencer 
was your boss who made you the youngest trader. <laughs> yes. Yep. My observation from listening to your story in chronological order and knowing you the way I do, you do that as instinctively yourself. I know that's how you encourage and help your colleagues, certainly your clients, give us help us reach our goals and all of that. And I believe that somehow that translated for you into tools, people that care, people that actually help you along your journey. And the other one now that you mentioned with the dyslexia, right? Somebody else could have said goodbye, too many mistakes. He gave a solution. It so happened he was in a position to, but isn't that wonderful that people will take that extra care to help another human being without really realizing it? Yeah, and, and there's been a couple of others that I only briefly touched on. I mentioned Dennis Bashford, who I went to see, who gave me the job at IWF. He became my mentor in starting up the financial planning. I mean, just as a simple, simple little exercise, he, he lived in, um, in Brisbane and I used to sail with him, which is why I knew him. As a simple exercise, we had a rule whereby I needed to get three brand new appointments every week. And I couldn't go to the pub on Friday night unless I had uh, three appointments um, during that week. Whether it was on Monday or four o'clock on Friday afternoon, I'd ring him when I had my three appointments and say, Dennis, I've got my three appointments. So he was a, he was a wonderful influencer. The other huge influencer in, in my world has been my skipper from the, the sailing boat, Ray Stone. And Ray Stone was a director in Kerry Packer's firm. And Ray, it just doesn't take full slightly, but I've never met anybody that reads between the lines better, whether it's a, a person or a, or a statement or a, a PDS or a, some sort of offered document. His claim to fame was that he got Kerry Packer out of his property in um, 1989, 1990, before the uh, property market crash of 1990, and he saved Kerry Packer a whole pile of money. To this day, Ray's now 85, but to this, uh, my wife and I try and have dinner with him and his wife mm-hmm. on any Fridays that we got free. So we'd probably catch up two or three times a month. And, and I talk talk to him about issues that I've got here. I talk to him about uh, little little ideas that I have. We bounce economic scenarios off each other and we argue the politics. And, and so this relationship is, well, I started sailing with him in 1989. Yeah. So it's another yeah. very long um relationship yeah. as i said we've done hobarts together and and so forth quite a bit of long ocean races so i've spent many times many hours sitting on a deck in the middle of nowhere discussing yeah. philosophies <laughs> <laughs> these people are very important throughout my life and in my business life and i think it's very important that people get a, a mentor or a, a somebody that they can is, is slightly removed from their day-to-day world mm. that they can they can bounce ideas off or, or who can maybe stop you making that mistake, which uh, which is very, very important. I was interested in your bio. You you gave us your why. And yes. we're Simon Sinek fans, and so we, we've talked a lot about finding your why. What I want to ask you is when did you find your why? I guess I always had my why. My why is I've naturally liked helping people. It's just yeah. something that I do. And the people around me, be it my work colleagues, be it my clients, be it my friends, if we can grow together, then we're building together and therefore we're, we're on the journey together. I invest in the same things as my clients, for example, because that's what I believe in. So we grow together. And if we fall, we fall together. And as I alluded to earlier, too, it's about actually watching people's goals and objectives be met and, and enjoying themselves. 
I'm a great believer in enjoying life. Life is there to be enjoyed. Going back to my old mate, Charlie, Charlie's he's always said that his attitude to money and my attitude to money is completely opposite, even though we started together. So he's a money's made flat to stack flat. And his attitude to me is money is made round to go round. One of the, the most horrendous things I see is greed. I cannot for love or money stand greed. I find it the most obnoxious of all human traits. And I guess in my field, I see it more often than mm. most. As I said, money's made round to go round. John, do you think about retirement? I used to. Just a passing thought. <laughs> I, I, I used to think about retirement because my day-to-day job was looking after people retiring and, and I would see these people that would retire and have this wonderful life of not having the pressures and everything of work. Ironically, this change from the financial planning, moving to the chief investment officer role and focusing just on the market has meant that my days aren't as busy as such. They're not as intense and therefore... I've got this business which, with a whole pile of wonderful people in it that I should be able to be like my mentor Ray Stone and you know, at 85 still be able to hold serious conversations with everybody. So I'd like to be involved in the business pretty much forever. And because I've now got the backing and the, the business is growing and I think we've got 14 people here now or thereabouts, I can then probably go and do some of the things that I never have done, which is the travelling and the longer ocean racing sailing again and and all these things that I I sort of want to get back into or would like to get into full stop but I've now got the support behind me that uh, I can do these things. That's great. Retirement is not for everyone obviously you've still got passion you're still interested it still intrigues you in lots of ways there's still things to learn so why would you? We've seen a huge amount of change in the industries that you've been involved with over this period of time is there anything that you would like to change <laughs> As, if you had the magic wand? What would I change? Let's start off with, in my life, there'd be nothing I've changed. I've, I've even found some negative, and, and recently, this was a, a recent um, experience, I have found in some of the most negative experiences in my life have actually resulted in, in some of the, the most positive. I was involved in a movie that unsuccessful and couldn't get off the ground. And I actually lost, personally lost a lot of money in it. However, the people that I met and involved in that movie has and will result in me making that money back and then a lot more from completely different events. So, yes, I could have sat there and went, I've lost all my money, boo-hoo. Then I look back on the relationships that I built. Those relationships are the positives that has come out of it. And I'm sure over the next few years, it will work in my favour. Well, I think that's a really good place to conclude our discussion john it's been an absolute pleasure we have talked for a considerable amount of time i'm sorry about that i, I no I, no that's great it just started it just started rolling it, it's been instructional it's been a you know a rewarding conversation i know it will be in terms of the podcast as well so thank you so much for your time and for your contribution i also want to say thank you so so much that was wonderful Thank you for inviting me. It was it feels for me. It's uh, it's like getting an old photo album out and yeah. going through the through the yeah. slides because yeah. we, we don't actually do it probably enough. And as I said, there's nothing I wanted to really change in my life, so it was interesting just going back over it. Yeah, for people who don't know, you've lived it, so yeah, you're just remembering things. But for people who who haven't heard about it, it's it's just been really fascinating. 
There's no other way to describe it. (laughs) I'm glad you picked that. I've got a friend of mine who reckons that my life has been the most interesting he's ever heard of, and and I just don't understand where he gets that from. For me, it's just been part of my world that I've lived in. And there we have our discussion with John Alford. Join us next week for a different topic, but for now, I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne. We've been talking with John Alford, and this is Inside Exec. (laughs) 